This is the Impact Church Podcast. Here at Impact, we believe a powerful word at the right time can help you overcome any challenges you are facing. Wherever you are listening or whatever you're going through, we pray this message speaks exactly to your need. Enjoy. Children strengthen our communities. Um, Strong communities require strong relationships. You know, strong families require strong relationships. Strong businesses require strong relationships. Business is just a relationship, you know, and the better you are relating to the people you're in business with, the more they reward you with their business. And so uh, we're going to be picking up in a moment with how to relate to your mate, how to relate to your mate. But before I do that, I want to kind of give you four of the worst pieces of marriage advice. Uh huh. Y'all ready? Here we go. Try it before you buy it. I'm giving y'all marriage advice. That's not good. I'm going someplace. Stay with me. Try it before you buy it means uh, that you, if you cohabitate, you have a better chance of being, having a successful marriage. There are people who believe that. Um, As a matter of fact, um, a Pew Research study in 2019 said that millennials or people under 30 say couples uh, have a more successful marriage if they cohabitate ahead of time. Stretch it straight. I'm going to stretch it straight. It's not true. It's not true. Research actually says that, yes, if you cohabitate, you'll have a higher successful, a higher, more odds of having a successful marriage the first year. The question is, do you plan on being together after year one? Because folks who cohabitate actually have a far greater chance of divorce after year one than folks who never cohabitate or shack or live together or whatever the that vernacular is. And so, um, and so I want to thought a few things on that while we're talking. Y'all ready? Don't act like you don't know anything I'm talking about this morning. All right, we're bringing it, we bring it to 2021. You know, I, this is this, I'm going to give you me and I'm going to give you the word. So this is me. <laughs> Why buy when you can rent? Oh, y'all are going to be quiet on me. Y'all are going to be quiet. You're going to be quiet? Okay, all right, all right. And so the idea that we're going to get together to help us so that we can get married, get together and live together to help us so that we stay married actually does not serve people well. Remember I told you earlier, misinformation leads to missteps. The other reason that people will say that they want to shack or live together is because, and it's, it's a real, very real reason, it's because of finances. And so the idea around it is that it helps me financially, may help you financially. But did you know that people who marry actually do better than people who don't marry financially. That's proven by research. And so actually there's a concern about, as it, as it relates to uh, single adults, because going forward there's this idea that the, the gap between the haves and the have-nots, regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of ethnicity, those things don't, are, don't even factor into this. But the gap between haves and have-nots is going to widen, and it's going to particularly be harder for those that are unmarried than it is for those that are married. So there is financial implications. You say, well, why is that? One of the reasons why is the system, one of them being the tax system, but others as well, actually rewards people for being married. Did you catch that? All right. Mm. I'm going to give my other reason. I can't prove this scientifically. It's just a thought, though, why uh, cohabitating ahead of time doesn't work. Because when you cohabitate with somebody, you come in with a certain level of expectation because that's just my boyfriend, that's just my girlfriend, that's just my person. And sometimes it's not even exclusive when people do that, right? It's just this person. But when, so you come in with one level of expectation, but when you finally say I do, whether it's five years, two years, ten years, when you finally say I do, the rules change. And so you change your level of expectation and the person did not agree to that when they first started. All right. I'm giving you bad advice number two. I alluded to this last week. Find someone who completes you. 
And y'all might have saw that. That was a big line in the Jerry Maguire movie. Uh, what was the name of that movie? Was it Jerry Maguire? What's the name? It was Jerry Maguire. Okay. And he said, I remember the scene. He said, you complete me. Oh, you're in trouble. Because what that's supposing is that somebody who's single can't be complete already. And what it's supposing is that if I'm saying that to you complete me, I'm also coming with the assumption that I complete you. And what that's saying is that both of us are 50 50, and that's a big problem because 50 and 50 or two halves never make a whole relationship. You need to go into marriage as a whole, not as a half. What happens is instead of it producing this level of interdependence, when you go on like that, this idea that you complete me, it doesn't create interdependence, it creates codependence, and that's not healthy in any relationship. And how many of y'all know only one person can complete you? His name is Jesus. Now, this is a big one that people say. Uh, that they, they believe it's this idea that falling in love is enough for a marriage. <laughs> That's actually funny. Because behind the assumption, and by the way, the new term of falling in love, when I say new term is maybe 100 years old, no one in the 1800s would have looked at you and said, you fell in love or, you know, in, I don't know. 1650, oh, I fell and they wouldn't understand what you meant as that being a reason to get love. That's a new American term that took off. Um, but the idea of falling in love brings behind this idea of sexual attraction, romance, and this idea that love is just a feeling. Can I tell you one thing I know about feelings? Every feeling changes. You don't have the same exact feeling you had from five years ago that you had five months ago or five weeks ago that you have right now. Our feelings change. And if you're basing a lifelong commitment on a feeling, boy, you're setting up for a failure. Now, should or could love produce feelings of love? Absolutely. Should you have feelings that, that make you want to be attracted to somebody you're attracted? Absolutely. But if you're married because of those feelings, boy, oh boy. Because the person who said that they fell in love with you, that was out of their control, can fall out of love with you and it's out of their control. Love is far more than a feeling. Love is an action. How about that? Love is an action. That's why God can say, I'll set the example for God so loved the world. He said, I just so loved the world, I felt like I loved you. That he gave action, his only begotten son, sacrifice, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Love has an action behind it. People say to me, sometimes if I talk to couples, they'll say, oh, I just, I just love Johnny. And she'll just bat her eyes. I just love Tyrone. I said, oh, that's nice. <clears throat> that's not my question. That is not my, my question isn't, isn't are you in love with him? Are you love, my question is, how will you love him? How will you love her? Will you love him in hard times? Will you love him in sickness? Will you love her through pregnancy? Will you love her through old age? The question is not do you love or if you're in love. The question is how will you love her? What is going to be the quality of your love? All right. Y'all are quiet. I must be stepping on something. I don't know what's going on here today, but I'm okay. It's all good. We're just going to keep it rolling. Hmm. Find, number four, find someone who makes you happy. Woo! Mm, 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 mm. Why would you give that burden to somebody to make you happy? You don't even make you happy all the time. The woman who carried you for nine months and gave you rent-free room and board, she don't even make you happy all of your life when you become, you aren't even always happy. Why would we put that burden on somebody else to make us happy as if they had the power to always please you? Mm. And I'm going to argue with you that that is a reflection of our self-centered and shallow society that lives in very small ways. That the objective of marriage is to make you happy. And I'm going to tell you from a biblical point of view, the objective of marriage is not to make you happy. You need to walk into marriage already happy. The objective of marriage is not to make you happy, it's to make you holy. It's to make you look more like Jesus Christ. It's to make you love like Christ loves, forgive like Christ forgives, support like Christ supports, care like Christ cares. It's not to make you. You better step into a relationship, a marriage, or even a friendship already happy. Because if you're depending on somebody else to make you happy, and you can't even keep yourself happy, you're setting yourself up for a failure. 
We live in a world that doesn't understand the true meaning of love. And part of love means that I've got to sacrifice. Part of love sometimes means that I've got to suffer. Ooh, he's preaching today and they quiet. That's all right. Mm-hmm. I know that's right. The world teaches us that we've got to have power in our relationships, we've got to have control in our relationships, and we've got to have the upper hand in our relationships. And when we have that, we feel good about ourselves, and we can do what's right for us and not tolerate anything less. And I want to tell you that that is the wrong way of seeking a healthy relationship. That produces a very harmful relationship. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at the very next, we're still in Matthew 5. We we started a few weeks ago looking at the scriptures that talk about, you have heard it said, and then Jesus says, yep, you've, this isn't his sermon. You've heard it said about this and this. And the next thing goes to, but I tell you. And, and just to remind you that it's the same thing that's happened to his audience when they first heard it. It's the same thing that happens to us. We get all this misinformation that we're raised with. Watch this. We get it in us, and we pass it down to our children. And Jesus says, let me correct the misinformation because misinformation will result in a misstep. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going, to, we're going to find out what Jesus has to say about how can we relate to our spouses. But it's interesting because the scripture that we're going to be reading this morning doesn't have a whole lot to do on a surface level with marriage because it's actually talking about divorce. But it's interesting when you go underneath the hood and check out the engine, Jesus is not just talking about divorce. It's about a whole lot more than divorce. It's about how we use power in our relationships to relate with other people. And how we can use power correctly to strengthen our relationships and to relate better with our mates. Are you all ready? All right, Elder Peter, I'm glad you're ready. Y'all ready? All right. Let's read Matthew 5, 31 to 32. It has been said, it is cheaper to keep her. No, that's not what it says. It has been said. I'm sorry, I was like, <laughs> that was the Broly translation now. Um, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And the King James and other versions says causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now let me stop before I go any further and just say this to another section of those of you that are listening this morning, that there is revelation in here, not just for those that are married, but for those who intend on being married. And if you have already been married and never intend on being married again, or you intend on being married, um, or you never just don't want to be married, there are people in your life that need to get the right information about what marriage really means. So what I need everyone to do this morning is to listen like somebody's life depends on it, because it's either yours or somebody you know. All right? And so what we find out here is that the very first thing is let me just start here and say, how many of you know that God's intention when it came to marriage was never divorced? Everybody know that? Okay. And one of the reasons why, there's many reasons. I'll give you a few quick ones. The, the main reason is that divorce, I mean, that marriage was always going to represent the relationship that God has, the Father has, or Jesus has with the church, that they would be forever in covenantal union. So it's it's this concept that we know from the Lord's Prayer that those things that are in heaven be also on earth. And so even from the Old Testament days, you see all these shadows as one example. When they would sacrifice an Adam in the Old Testament, that was to be a foreshadow of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, that would be slain. So all those things were to be a foreshadow of what he was going to do for and with his people. So even from the Old Testament, when God who ordained marriage, when God who defined marriage, when God who created marriage, when he made up this covenant or this idea of marriage, it was always to represent his eternal, somebody say eternal, his eternal relationship with mankind. And so to give us an example of what that looked like on earth, we would have these marital units that would, marital units that would last throughout a lifetime. Does that make sense? As an example, what God does, we sung the song this morning, Good, Good Father, right? And so God said, I'm going to show them what it's like to have me in the relationship by giving them something that they can identify with. So I'm going to give them this idea of what a father does and because a father loves and because a father protects and because a father provides, I'm going to reveal myself to them as father so they know what father looks like. Are you following me? So one of the reasons why he gives this eternal, um, this, uh, rather this lifelong covenant of marriage is to show mankind his love. Okay, as an example of his love. 
And so when we do, when, when divorce does enter into, it does not give that same effect that he originally, that's, that's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why um, divorce was not, never part of his plan. It's another reason I will argue is that in anyone that's gone through a divorce personally, anyone that's been a product of divorce as a child, or anyone that's been exposed to it knows that divorce is very painful. It's painful it, because what you're asking God to do when you get married is you're asking God, please take two that are separate and make them one. Now, if I had a demonstration this morning, I would have gotten some card, some um, uh, uh, construction paper. I would have had one piece of construction paper here and one piece of construction paper here, and I would have put not Elmo's but Gorilla Glue and glued them together. And then so what you're asking God to do is to rip you apart from somebody. And that comes with pain. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? So because he is a good, good father, because he does love you, he doesn't want you to have to go through or me to have to go through the pain of divorce. Are you following? Y'all tracking with me? Y'all looking at me like this. Except you got a mask on. I don't. However, somebody say however. Several times in Scripture, the Scripture says, but because of the hardness of men's hearts, he permitted divorce. So it was not his intention, but by permission, he allowed it. And, and when I say because of the hardness of men's hearts, I don't mean just men as in mankind or as in, uh, as in, you know, man and woman. I mean specifically because of the hardness, stay with me on this, because of the hardness of men as in male, men's hearts. What are you talking about? Well, originally, women in ancient days did not have the right to sue men for divorce. They, didn't, they could not go to a court. They could not do so in the community. The only one that could issue a divorce was the husband. Stay with me. What do you think the power lied? Who do you think had the power in the relationship, the husband or the wife? Husband had the power. In ancient days, women, so, and I'm telling you this because Jesus knew all this when he's speaking his message, and his original hearers would have known that because that was part of their culture. They would have known, if there was a woman there, she would have known she could not divorce her husband, no matter how bad it was. And if there was a husband there, he would have known, oh, I can let her go. And so as time went on, men began to divorce. Let me, well, let me go back to Deuteronomy 24. One says that a man could divorce his wife, and he gives one reason. He says if he finds some uncleanness with her. And so what it is alluding to, we'll hit in a minute, but two schools of thoughts begin to come down from Deuteronomy when you, from the Old Testament for 700 years before you get to where Jesus is speaking. One school of thought was very, very uh, conservative. It was basically saying, no, if you find something clean is with her, essentially if she commits adultery, then, then that is grounds for the extermination or the termination of marriage. And you could argue that when she committed adultery, it actually severs the covenant, okay? And so that would be with one school. And then there was another school of thought that said, if the man is unpleased with anything that the woman does, he can divorce her. So she put on a few pounds, uh, divorce. You burn the bread, divorce. You got some wrinkles that I didn't foresee, divorce. I see somebody else better that I like, divorce. So in this congregation 2,000 years ago when Jesus is preaching, you had people in both schools of thought. But which school of thought do you think was the most popular? Which y'all think? Divorce anytime you felt like it. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a historian, some of y'all know him, his name is uh, Josephus, who talks about Jesus and has written other things in the first century. But anyway, listen to why he got divorced. He wrote it. About this time, I put away my wife, who had borne me three children, not being pleased with her manners. Ooh, she should have slapped him. Slap him. He didn't like her manners. She gave you three children. You just divorced her because you don't like her manners? I'm going to give you something not to like. And so the problem with that was if you divorce your wife, because think of age, uh, ancient, if you divorce your wife and she doesn't have the right to 
divorce you, right? Women didn't also have rights before the court. They had so few rights. So that meant now that she, her whole life is not just the relationship, which would be enough, but her whole life was upended because, see, a woman basically had a man to always represent her. So whether it was her dad when she was coming up, he was the one that provided for economically. He was the one that literally protected her. Or whether it was her husband, the same thing. Of if, even if it was before the courts, the only way that she had that kind of power would be to have a man. So when, when a woman was divorced by a man 2,000 years ago when this was written, when a woman was divorced by a man, she did not have a lot of options. She had, one op- she had a few options. One option is that she can go back home and live as a servant in her father's house. That don't sound too good, does it? Or another relative's house. The other option that she had is that she can become a harlot. How do you think she might be treated as a harlot? Not good. So that's not a great option. Another option she, option she had is that she could be part of, a, she could be a concubine, part of a whole little mass of, do all these belong to him? And the final option is that if she received a certificate, which is why I said he had to write her certificate of divorce, if she received a certificate of divorce, that she was able to remarry. Now, I'm going to, this is going to make sense in a minute. So what the men did was, if they didn't like the, whatever, they changed their mind about the woman. She, you know, she didn't look the way she wanted them to look. She didn't have the right manners. So what they would do is they would say, all right, well, I'm tired of you. And so to be right by God, I'm going to give you a certificate of divorce because Moses said I can write a certificate of divorce and I can go on my merry free way. And what Jesus says is, nope, not so easy. So can you imagine for 700 years, men having all this power, and some of y'all women like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm, men having all this power and doing whatever they want to do, and here comes Jesus saying, hold up, just because you think you have the right to do it doesn't make it right. Oh, I need to stop here. Just because you think you have the right to do something doesn't mean that you are right. What Jesus says is, oh, you think that you can just kick her to the curve, or you think you can just send her away, and you think all your problems are gone. If you just put her out of the center and put her to the peripheral in somebody else's house, you think that you can freely just move on with your life. And what he says is, no. He says, I recognize that you hold the power. And he says, well, let me just say the way I heard it a long time ago back in a the movie theater, with great power comes great responsibility. That's Uncle Ben, Spider-Man. Praise God. What Jesus says is he says, not only do you have or you assume that you have the right, but since you assume that you have the right to put your wife, your wife away for any reason, you also bear the responsibility of the consequences. Which is why it says, and I'm just, can I just teach this morning to give some context here? Which is why it says if a man divorces his wife, he has got to give her a certificate of divorce. He says, but if she marries another or gets with another man, because she really has no other choice but to get with another man, and she, and she commits adultery, you are the one that caused the adultery. I don't know if you caught that. In other words, I'm going to hold that against you, not her. Can you imagine how, can you imagine Jesus saying that in a society after 700 years of people think, doing and practicing that and having that kind of power and just thinking that they was okay because they can go on with their little life no matter what they did to the person that they said, I'm in covenant with. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't get away that quickly. He says, he says essentially, if you let this woman go like that and you treat and kick her to the curb, I'm holding you responsible for her adultery. That's powerful. That's powerful. And so there's some things that we can get to that. We can take away. One, the first thing is just because we think we have the right does not make us right. Sometimes in relationships we think because we have the power to do something that we think that it's okay for us to do it. Because I know you and I, and I got the power in relationship, so I can close the bank book because I got the power. Oh, y'all quiet. Uh-huh. I can have an attitude because I paid a mortgage around here. Uh Uh-huh, you're quiet right now. Uh, I can shut things down because I make the most amount of money in the household. But can I tell you, just because you think you have a right doesn't mean that you actually have the right, nor does it make it right. I got a right to have an attitude. You got to ask yourself, do you want your rights or do you want your relationship? Because if we ask ourselves that more often, we'd stop picking up our rights, and start picking up our responsibilities. And that's the first thing I want you to take away from what we just learned about 
avoiding divorce. It's essentially, Jesus is telling those men by implication, it would be better for you to take your honey back home and work it out with your wife than to take up your right for divorce and cause her to commit adultery. She better relate with my man. I need to lay down my rights and pick up my responsibilities. Just because it's my money don't mean I have the right. Mm. Just because I'm grown don't mean I just come home when I feel like it. I'll get there when I feel like it. And just because it's my body don't mean I always get to say no. Ooh. Yay. Somebody got their breakthrough. So, when we misuse power in relationships, we break them down. When we take power as being our right to do something, we destroy the thing that we're trying to preserve. And so, how can we use power in a way that's going to build up our relationships? How can we use power in a way that, that prevents us from going through the pain of divorce? How can we use power in a way that our children can look to us as an example that when she gets a husband, she knows how to love her husband. When he gets a wife, he knows how to love his wife. Do you understand that you're the greatest teacher for, for your children? That the most they're ever going to learn about relationships comes from your example. Whether good or whether bad, and, and the truth is, from all, really for all of us, they get in a mixture of both. But we need to make it more bad than it is good. Amen? So let's talk about that. I'm going to give you the very first thing that I think that we can take away from this and some other scriptures we're going to look at. The very first thing is we need to relate with mutuality. Mutuality. Mutuality means that when there's a couple, there's this tendency to see themselves as part of a dyad. Not, not individuals. It's a dyadic relationship, not distinct individuals. In other words, if I was doing that math equation, you know how you have less than and greater than? It would have the equation that would say, we is greater than me. That I don't see me and then see you, but I see we. I think from the idea of we. I move from the idea of we. I make decisions from the idea of we. I give support from the idea of we. It's not so much me, but it's we. I'm no longer functioning because the scripture already said that he makes two one, and that's really what it's about. It's not about me any longer. It's about we. And what I realize is that wherever you don't have mutuality, you will have individuality, and individuality kills relationships. I got to just do me. You're going to do you one too many times and be just by you. Because what's behind it is this idea of doing me is my opinion, my ideas, my goals, my ambitions, my desires, my hurts, my pains, what I want to do, what I think, and what I feel. And the problem is that if both people enter a relationship like that, they're both entering, you have, you have two people uh, taking off of a host, but there's no host there. Two parasites. Me, 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 me. No, me, 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 and the marriage can't survive because there's no host. And you don't need a host when it's we. Because it's not about taking, it's about giving. And it's not about seeing as individuals that have to take, 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 take. It's about collaborating together and giving, 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 and having a sense of mutuality that raises you above self-centeredness. You know, people will tell you in relationships that relationships are 50-50. That is mostly not true. Every now and then, but relationships move because life moves. And there are times that you don't have 50% to give. Maybe all you have is 30%. If you're sick, you might only have 30%. If you're pregnant, you might only have 30%. But if you give 100% of your 30% and I give the 100% of my 70%, we still got 100% even if you only got 30. It's going to shift. 
There are times, there's seasons and situations where, you know, when Pastor Mona was pregnant, I had to give more than maybe 50%. When I was in school, she had to give more than 50%. There's times in life where you're going to have to give more, and it can't be you going in and saying, I'm giving 50, where's your 50? Or if your spouse is unemployed for whatever reason, and they're trying it, but they can't find a job, and, and you're, but I'm giving my 50 when you want to get yours together. You, that's, not, that's your time to say, what, how much I got to cover for you? And I don't mean financially. I, I mean, how much can I cover for you? It might be financially, but more so as a person. How can I be mute, bring mutuality to this relationship so it's not a transaction? Will you check it? Mutuality doesn't mean duality in the sense of like, like I said, 50-50 or um, I give you this so you give me the same thing back. It doesn't always look that way because men's needs and women's needs are different. We have similarities, absolutely, but we also have differences in needs. And I'm going to show you something and just throw out something for your consideration. Um, Ephesians talks about, the Bible says that, um, that men ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. Men ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And so for, for the men that are listening this morning, Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying, that we ought to love our wives and give what? Ourselves. It didn't say give your money. It didn't say give, give your cars. It didn't say give your gifts. It didn't say give flowers. Those would all be nice, I'm sure. But what he's saying is give yourself. What she wants from you is you, your love. Not to be paid off or bought off. And then likewise, it said women ought to respect their husbands. Uh, Y'all quiet. Thank you, Pop. He's humming right along with me. Uh, Essentially, he's saying, put some respect on it. The irony is, I want to read something because somebody did a little trial an experiment. It's called uh, breaking the crazy cycle. And what they recognize is that men's and women's needs are similar, but their felt need is a bit different. Men's ironically felt need is respect, not love. Felt need. Women's felt need isn't respect, but love. Men need respect, women need love. Say it with me. Men need respect, women need love. Okay, we, need, we both need both of them, but the felt need, the thing that moves them and that they feel is different from each other. So watch this, how this looks in conflict. In conflict, 83% of men who, when they had conflict with their spouse, 83% of men who had conflict felt disrespected. Not unloved. So if you would ask them, does she love you? Yes, she probably does. But he felt disrespected. However, when you talk to women, 72% felt in conflict unloved. Now, could she feel disrespected? Maybe, but that's not what she's feeling, right? She's feeling unloved. So here's the problem. You ready? Because it's called the crazy cycle for a reason. When a conflict happens, men have a tendency to respond to their wives in ways that are unloving. And women have a tendency to respond to their husbands in ways that are disrespectful. And so when you respond to me disrespectfully, I'm going to keep responding unlovingly. And you're going to respond disrespectfully. And I'm going to respond unlovingly. And you're going to respond disrespectfully. You, get, you see, it's crazy. And so if you want to break the crazy cycle and, and walk in mutuality, then you can shift by responding in ways that make her feel loved. You can shift in responding in ways that make him feel respected. But what if you don't make me feel loved? You just make him feel respected and let God begin to work in his heart. The cycle will never change if somebody don't step in. You know, the kingdom is always looking for somebody to represent God. And when somebody represents God, he empowers that person. He gives them grace, gives them strength, gives them wisdom, gives them patience, and he begins to work on the heart of the other one. But if nobody changes, you don't leave any room for God. That's why the Bible says that if you're married to an unbelieving spouse, you can win them over by how you treat them. 
So let me just give you a few ways that we tend to respond in conflict. Let me give you four real quick. You might be familiar with these. Lose-lose. I lose, you lose. That might look like we ain't speaking to each other. Somebody say amen. So he feels disrespected, she feels unloved, and you both lose. That's not mutuality. The next one is lose-win. So I'm going to accommodate you, and I'm either going to be salty, mm, bitter, passive-aggressive, because I lose and you always win. Mm. The next one is win-lose, which looks more like Matthew. Win, I got the power. I use it for my own benefit. You lose. You say, yeah, but you hold a responsibility. But mutuality says win-win. Nobody wins unless both of us win. For you to lose and me to win, that's a loss. For me to win and you to lose, that's a loss. The only way that it works is when we both win. And the only way you can do that is by responding in a mutual way that she feels loved and he feels respected. You say, I am not going to be married again. I've already went through that. You need to tell your daughter and tell your sons how to love. How to love. Listen to what Philippians says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Remember I told you from the beginning, we're not working on behaviors. We're working on mindset. Because it's a mindset that makes me think that it's okay for me to have an attitude. Woo! I'm going to stay right here because I'm, I'm hovering. I'm feeling something way down on the inside. It is, an, it is a mindset that makes me think that I can talk to him any way I want you. And he got to put up with it. It is a mindset to make me think I can disregard her feelings anytime I want to. And she got to put up with it. And so Jesus says the way for your transformation is not going to come by changing your behavior. It's going to change. It's going to come from changing your mindset. He says, and listen to what he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used, used to his own advantage. He was not trying to use the fact that he was God himself and had the nature of God. He's not trying to use that power for his own benefit. Because y'all know, I mean, I had, I've walked through this. I said, Lord, if, if I was on the cross and they're like, if you the son of God, come off. I would have been like, I'm not coming off. I'm going to zap you. Zap. YouTube, zap, you know, we would use power for our own benefit. Hmm. Don't act like you don't want to zap some people before. Some of y'all left home and went to zap somebody this morning. <laughs> just go home today and just say, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How many of y'all brought your flip phone with you this morning? I'm just, okay. You had to be here last Sunday to catch that. But anyway. And so what he says is that Jesus is not looking to use who he was for his own advantage. We're so afraid of somebody getting an upper hand over us. Look, don't marry somebody that you have to worry about that with. You got to love and trust God. You can't sit there and say, I'm going to keep fighting, and I'm going to, will she do a little bit? I'm going to pull over here. He pull over there. I'm going to pull over. You, you got to let that stuff go. You got to let that stuff go. Because if you're going to worry about somebody having an advantage, you're still thinking from the individual. It's individuality, not mutuality. And the only way that this thing works is mutuality. And so he says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. We're going to talk about that. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Jesus laid down his rights 
so that we could have a relationship with God the Father. And if you want to have a relationship with your spouse that is healthy and you want it to be headed in the right direction and you want it to be something that is generational, you got to lay down your rights and pick up your responsibilities. And the question is this morning, what do you need to lay down? So relate with mutuality. Secondly, serve with humility. These are all mindsets. Serve with humility. Jesus, the Bible says, even though he was God himself, he limited himself. So on earth, he felt human pain. On earth, he couldn't be in five places at one time. He limited himself. He didn't lessen himself. He still was still God, but he limited himself. And sometimes we're so busy in our relationships trying to have more power and trying to be unlimited. But that's what a relationship is about, right? Let me explain. So there are, what, I think it's 8 billion now people on earth and almost split half and half, male and female. So let's just estimate there's 4 billion women on earth, right? And so if you are single... In theory, if all 4 billion were single and your age, you actually have 4 billion. I would have 4 billion choices, right? But when you marry somebody or when you're seeking marriage, what you're saying is, I no longer keep my options on those 4 billion, but I'm going to now reduce my options and limit them to one person. Does that make sense? A relationship is not about expanding your options. It's actually about limiting your options. And so what he's actually showing us is that one of the reasons, one of the things that we've got to do in our relationship is is say, I'm willing to limit myself. I don't have to lessen myself, but I'm willing to limit myself to serve my spouse. I'm willing to limit myself, limit my privileges, limit uh, the things that I feel like I have the right to do, limit the things that I want to do so I can let go of the things that me wants to do for the things that we need to do. Woo, I need to stay here. I just feel it. When you have goals, when you have objectives, when you have dreams, make sure in marriage, now if you ain't married, you can do what you want, (laughs) but make sure in marriage that your goals, dreams, and objectives are not about me, but about we. Just go and swallow that. Because the more I make it about me, remember that construction paper that I don't have this morning? The more I make it about me, the more I'm actually tearing. And it's not always apparent, apparent in the beginning. You can't always see the tears. But the longer it goes, the more painful it becomes, and eventually you tear apart where we're supposed to stay together. So what Jesus is showing us as an example is to serve with humility. Serve with humility. One of the re- reasons why relationships don't work is because we become proud. Nobody can't tell me anything. Leave me alone. That's the way I always did it. It's my choice. I don't care what nobody says. Ain't nobody going to tell me. Mm. Pride. Pride. It's pride. Just call it what it is. If you're going to be that way, then just call it. Say, I'm being prideful and I know it. Hey, at least you can be an honest, prideful person. Just pride just feeds our ego. I like to always say ego is edging God out. So if you want God to move on your behalf, then you can't edge him out with your pride and ego, right? And so we got to lay those things down. And that means one of the best ways to do it is to ask yourself, how can I serve my spouse? Oh, God. It's getting painful. But how can I serve my spouse? Because when you understand that you're actually in, in, in a roundabout way serving yourself because you're part of that didactic relationship. How can I serve my spouse? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. And so serving always reduces us to humility. Dr. Carnes came here and said a few years ago, out love, out give, and out serve one another. Can you imagine a relationship that both people said, you know, I'm going to outlove, outgive, and I'll serve? Can you imagine that relationship ever separating? It would be pretty hard. It's simple, and yet it's complex because we've got to actually do it. Outlove, outgive, I'll serve. And that takes humility. And I'm, I'm done. I'm going to close because I think I gave y'all more than y'all can handle today. But it's good. 
Listen, what I found out, I'm a product of divorce. What I found out is this. Huh, I'd rather do pre, um, preventive care. Y'all ain't going to say nothing, but I've seen the devastation of divorce. I know the pain of divorce. I've seen the, the trauma. I've seen the generation. I've ex personally experienced the generational trauma of it. So what I'm trying to tell you this morning is if you put the work in, you don't have to deal with the pain later on. It may not be easy right now. It may be hard right now. It may be inconvenient. You might not even feel like it's fair. How come I got to be one? But I'm telling you right now that God wants to spare you the pain that's unnecessary if you do what he says to do. Divorce is costly. They don't tell you that. Oh, you can always get a divorce. They don't tell you all the hours you got to sit there fighting over petty stuff and all the hours you got to sit in courtrooms and the thousands and thousands of dollars that divorce attorneys make. I was talking to an attorney this year, and he doesn't do divorce work. He says, it was actually last year, he said, but my friend who does divorce work said his business, he can't contain the business through the pandemic because all the couples divorcing. But nobody tells you how easy, they tell you how easy it is to separate. One of them uh, billboards on 285 said, said, uh, how to undo I do. They tell you how easy it is, seemingly the easy it is to undo, but they don't tell you the level of pain you're going to go to. They don't tell you how it deals with your, your self-confidence. They don't tell you how it impacts your social relationships. They don't tell you how it impacts you financially. My dad told me when he divorced, it took him over 10 years to recover. They don't tell you about that part. And so that means we got to put the work in. Look at your name and say, we got to put the work in. You got to put the work in. You're going to work one way or the other. I'd rather work and avoid the pain than to go through the pain if I could have avoided it. And I'm just going to end with this. Pray with consistency. The Bible says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. It also says in James that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's not enough just to pray every now and then. It's not enough every now and then to put on a prayer list. You've got to pray consistently. Some of you are in, in hard relationships. Some are in toxic relationships. And you've got to be able to pray daily and regularly just to respond correctly. Just to have a positive outlook. Just avoid being depressed. Just to look, avoid being hopeless. You've got to pray consistently. Pray until you get an answer. Pray until you get a breakthrough. Pray until things change. But by all means, continue to pray. It's not an option. It's a necessity. Pray with consistency. Pray with consistency. God, help me to be a person who effectively prays for my spouse. And, and those of you that are not struggling in marriage or, or, or not in a position, we still need to be interceding for your mate. Do you pray for your mate? Now, we can criticize in a heartbeat, but do you pray? He got on my last nerve. When was the last time you prayed for him? We got to do better. We got to do better. Sometimes we, we, in our community, we treat our sons better than we treat our husbands. Oh, y'all quiet. You're quiet. How do you know that? Even look at your mother. Or some of y'all, it'll click when you look at it from that point of view. Because we, can, we treat our sons like they're kings and treat our, our, our men like the demons. Did you think of that? You're a man that's somebody's husband. No, you're a man that's somebody's son. And the same thing, your, your woman or your wife is somebody's daughter. Would you want somebody treating your daughter the way you treat your wife? We're all teaching our children and our grandchildren how to treat their spouses. Some of y'all would have knocked somebody upside their head. Can I just keep it real? They were treating your daughter the way you treat your wife. And, and, and what bothers me is that 25% uh, of, of adults in the United States have been divorced. 25%. 27% of Christian adults have been divorced. Which tells me that our mindset as believers has not been discipled. We should be at least a little bit ahead of the world. Are you with me? Which is why it's not enough to change somebody's behavior because when they change their behavior, they can change it right back. But it's the mindset. It's the mindset. I want you to stand on your feet this morning. I want to pray with you this morning. 
I want the Lord to work a work in us. I want you to ask God to give you a testimony this morning in your marriage. And I don't mean just a testimony that your marriage made it. That would be great as well. But a testimony that your marriage is an example to other people, other generations, that the world can look at you and say, this is an example of not a perfect marriage because there aren't any, but a marriage that glorifies God and a marriage that trusts the Lord and that the next generation can find hope. Because what I found out is that even though 25% of millennials will never get married, is what they're saying. The percentage of millennials that want to get married is the same as every other generation. And, and what I know from personal experiences, if you ask God, he can do for you what you can never do for yourself. It takes humility. It takes saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing. You may be married 20 years. It's okay to say, I don't know what I'm doing. Because the book of James tells us if we come to the Lord and we ask for wisdom, he will give us wisdom. And he will not abrade us, which means he won't beat us up. That's dumb. You don't know that? You should know that by now. You 50, you 30, you 60. He won't do that to you. He says, if you ask, he'll give it to you. And so, if the truth be told, many of us have never asked the Lord because no one ever told us, you know, maybe you should ask God for wisdom on how to relate with your mate or how to relate with somebody and, and to know before you marry them if that's going to be a good fit or not, right? So, we need to be able to pray and ask God to give us revelation on how to show up better in our own lives, how to show up better in our own relationships, and how to walk in His wisdom so our relationships can have a turnaround. How does that sound? Is that all right this morning? And so what I want you to do, I want everyone to lift their hands this morning that knows the Lord. And if, if it's not for you, then I want you to think about a couple that you would want this to be their outcome, that you want God to do something in their life, that you're trusting God to do something for them, and that you're going to lift up in prayer. And I want us to just take a moment and ask God to either do it in our marriage or do it in the marriage of somebody that I know and love. I'm trusting you to do it and help us to be that kind of kind of story. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for every marriage that's represented here today, Lord. It is not easy. It's hard. It's difficult, Lord God. It, it causes us to have to lay aside our self-centeredness, God. But we thank you for the gift and the beauty and the intention of marriage, Lord God. We want to honor you with our marriages. We ask you, Lord, to work on our mindset, to change how we see ourselves, change how we see marriage, change how we see our spouses, Lord, that we might show up in ways that are God-honoring. Lord, we pray that our marriage would be abundant, Lord God, and produce fruit, Lord, fruit that would remain. And Father, not just us, but the marriages that are being lifted up right now, Lord. They may be relatives. They may be close friends, Lord God. They may be neighbors or co-workers, but we're asking that you would intercede and intervene into the, to the difficulties that others are facing. And God, cause those relationships that are not strong, Lord, to be strengthened, to be fruitful, Lord God, to be God-honoring, Lord God, to be healthy. We thank you, Lord, even for our children. Lord, even for, for what they have seen and experienced, Lord, those things that have been helpful, those things that may not be as helpful, we pray in their relationships, Lord God, that you would give them victory. We pray that our children's relationships will go even further than our own, Lord God. That their relationships with their spouses, their relationship with their children, Lord God, will be abundant. And we thank you. And we bless you for it now in Jesus' name. Go ahead and give God some praise if you receive that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.